Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pasty Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 292 with Lauren Landau, where we have a little chat around agility and change of direction, but the importance of frontal and transverse plane exercise and drills to really master that agility and change direction ability. But just before we do dive into this episode with Lauren, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you want a free solution to be able to collect, analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy at rockdaisy.com. Excuse me, the real crux of the conversation, and this I think it's pretty built off your UKCA talk a couple of years ago which oh, I yeah. thought was excellent, by the way, and watched a couple of times. Um, and one thing you emphasized throughout the uh, the presentation, and I encourage people to, to watch that if they can, and it was around agility and, the change, dire- and change direction, but the importance of frontland transverse plane um, drills and exercises. Why do, why do you put such a, a heavy emphasis on that? And why were you trying to, I suppose, put that across so so heavily in the presentation? Sure. I think uh, I, there's a few different ways I look at things, and I'll answer this in a couple different ways. The first way I'll look at it is uh, Stephen Plisk, who I mentioned earlier, is a mentor of mine, and he would always talk about in periodization and programming, he would always talk about, you know, to be a better specialist, you need to be a better generalist. And, you know, to be a sniper, you have to really understand in our field, you have to understand uh, biomechanics, your anatomy, your biochemistry. Uh, your programming, your periodization, all your different subject matters that make up what we do, you have to be really good at those general subjects to be to really dive in and give people something pretty specific, pretty individual. So I, I would always hear him say that. And I was I started thinking about that. I was like, gosh, you know, when we look at movement, like there's there's infinite movements we can do. But if you really break it down to fundamental quadrants and our cardinal directioning, I mean, really, what can you do in those planes? And so I start breaking things down in that kind of that that generalist mindset, not reductionist, but a generalist mindset of saying, OK, if I can be really good moving in a sagittal plane, whether that's forwards, whether that's backwards. Um, and then if I can be really good moving in a frontal plane, which is like a, a shuffle type drill. And then if I could be really good in a transverse plane, the rotational aspect, those are really the crux of, of how you build change of direction. At the end of the day, I'm going to use a frontal plane type movement or a transverse plane movement to bridge two gaps of acceleration. That's usually what happens on the playing field. Now, you might have bandwidths in each one of those planes of movement that that it maybe doesn't look straight sagittal. Maybe there's a curvilinear aspect to it. But when I go to put on the brakes, I've got to have specific angles. And if I'm looking to come out of it, I'm going to have a rotational moment about the body if I'm looking to drop step out and work on my change of direction to get back into acceleration. So the way I looked at it, Rob, was if, if I can be really good at those, those general subjects, if you will, of movement, and if I could understand the decelerative component in each one of those planes of motion, I win. I win. So, you know, I know we'll probably get into the conversation point where people will talk about you know, you know, reacting to the environment and, and, you know, the environmental constraints. Well, we have constraints within our being. And if we, if we're not a good locomotion person, we're not a good mover. We don't understand fluidity. We don't understand orchestration. We don't understand these things. You can make the environment as dynamic as you want. I don't think I'm going to be as efficient as I could be is if I spent a decent chunk of time of mastering myself and how I move in space. 
So I think we'll always have variables. And I, I think to me, do I want to control the environment or do I want to control the person? One thing that's come a couple of times is, and with Nick Grantham, I don't know if you've, you've heard of Nick. Um, I think he spoke in the US a couple of times, be on the podcast a couple of times anyway. And he was talking about through his career, moving from generalist to specialist and then back to generalist as he's yeah. moved as he's made that transition would you would you agree with that kind of kind of statement and how your mind has has developed and and evolved i, I think it has to because yeah. the layers are so many and the subject matters are so broad in, in our field that you have to have a pretty good understanding or at least have people in your camp who have good understandings of everything you still have to have a whole vision of the whole um, if you want to be this, you know, this sniper and you just want to work with pole vaulters, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you better have a pretty good understanding of the whole spectrum in a holistic manner. So, so now, uh, Rob, I want to go back to the other point when you asked about the uh, frontal plane, transverse plane. Of course. Cetera. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. No, 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 you're fine. I didn't finish uh, where I was at in my thought, too, was I also look at it from an injury standpoint. Like if we look at like mechanism of injuries and you pay attention to them, especially you know, we can look at soft tissue or we can look at connected tissue and we can look at non-contact. When you look at like a, at the end of the day, if I'm, um, you know, moving in a sagittal plane and I go to decelerate, we can all agree there's a high element of shearing force at the knee joint. There's an element of rotation, no doubt. So you've got, you've got torque and you've got shear, but shears probably takes a, a more brunt of the, of the, uh, the load, if you will. So now if I'm moving in a frontal plane, if I'm doing a shuffle and I go to decelerate, I've got a massive amount of torque against that joint. So I started looking at those different movement patterns and, and I basically said this, if, if you look at, I, I always reference uh, joint structure and function, uh, joint function and structure by, joint structure and function, sorry, by Norkin and Lavange. And we talk about all these different exercises, all these different movement possibilities. And at the end of the day, we can really narrow all movements that we do we can narrow them down to four common forces, and that's shear, distraction, torque, and compression. And so if I can build closed models where I work on the robustness of the athlete, hey, we're going to shuffle and decel, shuffle and decel. We're going to marinate in that and stick and stabilize to then make you more resilient to the torquing forces that happen at the knee joint. And if we do the same thing in the sagittal plane, it's the same idea. Um, so that's why I kind of looked at the quadrants that we talked about. Because every time I work on those quadrants, and if I spend a decent amount of time of a deceleration skill, I do believe that we can teach the body, the neuromuscular system, to be more robust against those types of forces when they when they come at us on the field. Mm -hmm. I'd love to dive into that about deceleration, um, okay. if we can. So from a from a um, sagittal plane, so obviously forwards and back. Before we move on to the, the frontal plane stuff, what what goes through your mind? in terms of teaching progressions when you are when you get an athlete in and are starting from scratch through deceleration? Yeah, I think it's it's multiple layers as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it matters on the training age of the athlete. Yeah. Um, but you know, early on, if we're looking at early on development, you know, it's just, you know, teaching them to hold good squat patterns and good getting the good lunging patterns, hold good lunging patterns in an isometric fashion, being able to get into those bend positions that ultimately look like deceleration. And I would do that even with my elites. You know, a lot of my elites, uh, a lot of elites don't bend and move as well as you would think, as you know. Um, one, whether it's the training age saturation, maybe they haven't had the same coach for multiple years of training. And maybe they just didn't seem to care when they were going through these rudimentary stages of learning. Uh, so for me, it's 
it's not that I want to make everything closed because I'm very big into open movement. But I think early on, you have to teach some closed patterns. And I'll get into that a little bit more of how I see movement. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just start with different skipping patterns and then they have to then, then they have to absorb into a bilateral deceleration. You know, I might start into some easy jogging tempos into a bilateral deceleration, sit it down into the squat position. But as they become more versed with that and, and better tolerant and they have better control when you see that, then it's like, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take it into a light acceleration, then you're going to decelerate and we're going to go into a split stance. So I'm still bilateral, but I'm split. And so I'm working on those different concepts or those capabilities of the body to be able to put on the brakes at different angles, at different vectors, at different speeds. Um, so those are the things that I kind of pay attention to early. But the thing I love, say I'm doing like a, a linear XL, put on the brakes, getting good decelerative. And then I take them into a backpedal action and I have them put on the brakes. And so now I'm getting deceleration. I'm getting that eccentric loading in that in that reverse uh, that reverse mechanic that reverse mechanics. So now I get great deceleration on the Achilles. So when you look at the forward and you look at the back, I mean, there's some really cool things that are happening from a tissue tolerance standpoint. And I do these things at low intensity. They're, they're not, you know, run full speed, put on the brakes. I mean, there is a progression of this thing over time. And, and that progression over time ultimately becomes, hey, all right, now you're going to accelerate 15 yards and you're going to put on the brakes at seven. Now you're going to put on the brakes at five. Now you're going to put the brakes on at three. Now you're going to put the brakes on when I clap. So there's different ways that you can make these things go from, from closed to open. And even though it looks like the same thing, it's just what are they reacting to? What are they reacting to that ultimately uh, changes that, that, that lens? Mm -hmm. So in the, in the frontal play, I'm guessing the principles are the same, but is there any, any okay, yeah. Yeah, I'd say here's where the principles change, right? It, it changes based on, on foot positioning. You know, when we're, when we're walking, jogging, and running, there's different elements of strike pattern and positioning. Mm -hmm. When I'm in a frontal plane motion, you know, it's, it's a, a edges. I start to use the, in, the inversion, eversion quality of the foot. Still pronation, supination of the foot, but it's, it's in a different plane. So I'm stressing um, those structures differently up the chain because what happens, uh, perfect example. So we can talk about when I strike in, in forward stride, if I'm running, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strike the ground, you know, whether it's depending on, on the, who the athlete is, they might strike more supinated early on, and then they're going to roll into more of a mid stance into pronation. And as they go into pronation, Rob, what happens is the naviculars, the foot goes into pronation and that midfoot starts to adduct toward the floor and toward midline. The navicular is going to go down toward the floor. When the, when the navicular does that, the talus is going to follow it into internal down into further adduction, and then the tibia is going to internally rotate. So you have those different forces that you're working on in a sagittal plane that are creating like torque and, and shear like we talked about. But the same thing now happens in the frontal plane. When I shuffle and put on the brakes, I've got one foot. When I put on those brakes shuffling, I've got one foot that is extremely um, eccentrically controlling supination. And I've got one foot that's eccentrically controlling pronation simultaneously. So that's to me, that's like secret sauce because now I'm bolstering the two sides of the equation of pronation and supination in an eccentric fashion. I look at pronation and supination like a teeter-totter. You don't want too much of one. You don't want too much of the other. How do I find the ability to manage and mitigate both? And to me, I love the side shuffle drills, even though like a side shuffle and sporting action, it's usually like one step and go. But what I do is I'll saturate the skill, put them under different forces, different loads, so they can, they can absorb those forces. 
So that, that's kind of a long-winded answer on that because we can get in deeper into the foot if you want as well. Um, but you have three phases of the foot. You got a rear foot, midfoot, and forefoot. And all those phases of the foot are doing different things at different times based on what part of the foot and where the loading is. So, you know, if I, if I go decelerate and say I'm decelerating or I'm, I'm shuffling left to right on a, a frontal plane shuffle, when I go to put on the brakes on that right foot, my right side rear foot is going to evert. My midfoot is going to adduct toward the floor and my forefoot is going to abduct slightly. That's just how it works with the forces of the, of the ground. And so what you do is you play around with these shuffle patterns and you can work on that essential control of, of pronation and supination without understanding all the intrinsic mechanics that are happening at each phase of the foot in each step. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 292 with Lauren Landau and you can find the full episode on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and I'll chat to you next time.